This podcast is sponsored by Drax. As the UK's largest renewable electricity generator, Drax plays a critical role in UK energy security. They have committed to invest £2.5 billion in new green energy infrastructure, creating jobs and growth across the country. Find out more at Drax.com. And welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. Well, the Conservatives are bracing themselves for their conference in Birmingham, which kicks off this weekend. If they can make it, thanks to train strikes, uh, what are we expecting, James? So you would normally expect the first conference of a newly elected party leader to, to be a moment of celebration. But I think the things that have happened in the last few weeks means that it'll be a slightly more tense affair than that. The Tories go into this conference in considerable political trouble, behind by 30-odd points, according to YouGov in one poll. Other pollsters are not as dramatic, but they still suggest a deficit of somewhere between you know, 17 and 20, 21, 22 points, which is large and would not lead to a good result at a general election for the Conservative Party. I think it is worth remembering two things about this conference, though. Most of the MPs who are going are ministers who back Liz Truss. And secondly, the party membership did vote for Liz Truss. I mean, there is a a strong case that she has a mandate for what she is doing from the party members. But I think the reality of the situation means that the fringe will be particularly carefully observed. And I think the other question is, what options get shut down in this party conference? For example... There's lots of talk that benefits might not be raised in line with inflation. Is that line going to survive the whole week of conference? There's talk that all departmental budgets might be left just left where they are in cash terms for the next five years, with inflation allowed to essentially do its job. Given what that would mean for the NHS, is that going to get through this week? So I think I think those are the kind of things that people will be watching. I think already one ally of Liz Truss said to me this morning, you know, why is Michael Gove speaking at eight fringes, for example? I think there will be things that will get people to say that, that I think it will not be an entirely quiescent conference. So Katie, that means that we're going to have a few people like Michael Gove who are quite keen to have their say, but actually a lot of the unhappy people aren't going to bother going. I mean, it's not actually the case. It hasn't been the case for quite a few years. The Conservative Conference is the place you go where you want to find lots of MPs. Exactly. And I think we have a situation where, yes, Michael Gove's going to be there, but generally speaking, Rishi Sunak's staying away. Boris Johnson has told new Prime Minister he will be staying away. And I mean, I think when you saw how it was briefed out that Rishi Sunak was staying away, which is to let Liz Truss own this moment, you get the impression that... Owning the moment might not be the kindest thing right now, given the moment isn't looking particularly uh, positive for Liz Truss. But therefore, I think there is an interesting question, which is there's clearly a lot of unease on the Tory backbenchers. There is a push for a change in direction. You've seen since that YouGov poll came out with the 33-point lead for Labour. Some Tory MPs going public, Julian Smith, already had spoken out, but this time actually explicitly calling for for them to not go ahead for abolishing the 45p rate of tax for the highest earners. George Freeman, again, a former minister. So you know, it, we're not at the scale where ministers are threatening to resign and so forth. But these are former ministers saying that the cabinet needed to get together with the prime minister and chancellor and agree a new change of direction. So I think there'll be a whiff of that. But ultimately, 
as you allude to, the people who are going to be at this conference and attending a lot of these fringes, so, you know, the Institute of Economic Affairs events, they all people who will tend to agree with Truss's radicalism. These are quite a lot of the true believers who are going to be down there. And I think there is an interesting question as to whether that means you have a situation where actually, rather than encouraging Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng to address some of the serious concerns in their party, it could go the other way and they feel reinvigorated to pursue this pure conservatism and vision because the people around them are more likely to think it's a good idea. Yeah, it's interesting what Katie says. I, I was talking to someone in the financial markets earlier in the week who has some experience in Tory politics and they were saying that actually they, they think that's the risk. They think the risk is that in the conference atmosphere someone suggests, you know, I know this is hard but we plough on, you know, there are more tax cuts to come and you get an adverse reaction to that kind of comment. For example, it's just been announced that Kwasi Kwarteng is going to sit down and do an interview with the IEA that interview is going to be unlike most other interviews that Kwasi Kwarteng have done, which I think because I think this interview will be saying, you know, if anything, the criticism of his budget is that he didn't go far enough, right? He didn't cut enough taxes. And so I think in some ways you've got to remember that, as Katie says, that weirdly enough, precisely because there will be a lot of people there who are actually very supportive of the budget at conference, but that brings with it its own risks too. And Katie, a lot of conference speeches have been written weeks before the main event. Do you get any sense that ministers, particularly the Prime Minister, are engaged in hasty uh, rewriting and additions given events in the past few days? So I don't know about specific changes to the speech, but I think what's interesting is if you follow, you know, speaking to various figures around Downing Street and in government, probably in the space since Friday, I think there has been a slow and belated realisation that the budget has all the mini budget, as we shall call it, has not landed in the way they wanted. And actually, initially, I think quite a lot of confidence coming from those quarters, which was, you know, the markets will come down, we've done the right thing. Then I think it was, you know, still, you know, everyone's overreacting, the lobby don't understand the markets kind of sense. And now I think we are at the point of an acceptance that something's could have been done better. And I think there's still a difference of opinion as to is what went wrong here, which is a view of some, and particularly the economists who feel that, you know, Liz Truss has embarked on much of their vision, is the problem the comms, and that's a regular refrain in politics, particularly Downing Street when something goes wrong, everyone says, it's the comms, and the comms people say, no, we're easy to blame. But there's a little bit of blame saying, could the comms and the way this is pitched and pitch rolled been done in a better way? And then, of course, there's, was there a measure too far in terms of the 45%, and that was the final straw? And therefore, while I think there's now an acceptance, it's not clear to me yet that they're willing to turn course. But, you know, once you accept there is a problem you know, doors are, are ajar to this. So I think that in terms of the leader's speech, I think a few days ago, this was still seen as, you know, Liz Truss's big coming out moment and it's going to be a very positive event for her. I think now that it's moved to, this needs to be a good conference. We need to get something back. But you look at the polling and it does feel as though she's entering a really difficult environment to spin this, uh, you know, enemy as a success. James, who should the Prime Minister be most worried about? Is it the people who supported Rishi Sunak, who, as we've discussed, are not going to be largely at the conference? Is it her own cabinet ministers who privately are not buoyed by the way the past few days have gone? You know, who's the most dangerous faction or sort of rank within the party at the moment? The person she's most worried about is Richard Hughes, the head of the OBR. 
Because the decision not to have an OBR forecast accompanying the mini budget clearly is one of the things that spooked the markets. And that means that the OBR's forecast for this fiscal event that is coming, and it might be coming sooner than the 23rd of November, even the government are conceding that that might be the case, is now the most anticipated forecast ever. And what that says about the public finances is going to be absolutely key because if it implies or says explicitly that public finances are on an unsustainable path then I think government borrowing costs are going to spike again and spiking government borrowing costs are actually a much bigger deal than what is happening to sterling you know I think we, we sometimes get this wrong which is you know everyone looks at sterling as, as a symbol and obviously it has importance in terms of what it means for inflation and the like but it is the government borrowing costs and domestic interest rates are the two things that I think are much bigger issues than sterling. Katie, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I also think it's to look at the people who actually supported trust in the leadership campaign because it's not hard to find a Rishi Sunak backer who's willing to say this is a disaster. They're pretty willing to say before she was picked by the membership and on the day she was picked to voice concerns, even if some said, oh, we're going to take a vow of silence to give her space. And therefore, I think as Fraser writes in his Telegraph column today, there's something about... Those who backed Liz Truss, who feel that she has deviated or messed up what they thought, you know, not done exactly what they thought she was going to do. And you have Rishi Sunak back as he will say, well, she did say she was going to do this. She said she was going to borrow to do tax cuts. And now she's done that. So don't don't act so surprised. You go and you've attached to this. Maybe you were a careerist. Maybe you were a true believer. But it's all on you. And I think what they will say, or at least some of them will say is, well, we didn't know she was going to do the 45p rate, even though that was a minimum spend compared to some of the others and we also didn't know the scale of the energy package so actually going from the amount they thought she was going to borrow compared to what she actually has gone for that wasn't necessarily part of the deal and therefore how much does this a cabinet responsibility you would expect cabinet collective responsibility to hold for a bit longer still but also just in terms of her backers how much do they get behind and support her because you haven't seen too many going out onto the airwaves to say you know this is all part of the strategy and you saw yesterday when Kwasi Kwarteng wrote to MPs saying you know we are all one team we need to stay together I think when you start to see disunity amongst those who were pretty enthusiastic during the leadership campaign you know you're um, heading to a particularly tricky situation. James This is all part of the plan, isn't it, in in that Liz Truss made very clear from the outset that she was prepared to be unpopular. So is this really just Tory MPs not realising that being unpopular tends to go a bit further than just Labour people shouting at you? Yes, I think when Liz Truss said she was prepared to do unpopular things to get the economy going... I don't think she was envisaging the kind of polling numbers we're seeing. But I think you're right that she was prepared to... She takes the view that, you know, she's got to do this stuff now to try and get the economy growing by the time of the next election. I think what is difficult, and this is a point that Katie has made repeatedly, but it is worth repeating, is that because her political capital is diminished, she will now find it harder to enact the other side of her growth agenda, which is the supply side reform she wants to push through. Because, you know, when Tory MPs look at these polls, I talked to one shell-shocked Tory MP this morning who's been around for a very long time and has a seat that you in normal times would treat as safe as houses, saying, you know, I now have a battlefield marginal and I will I will behave as such. And that means that when it comes to something, anything controversial, such as planning reform, they are going to be very reluctant to vote for it if they think it might cost them any votes. And the problem is that most supply-side reforms are at least initially unpopular because they are you know, involve things like, you know, allowing more houses to be built in more places, changing workers' rights, for example, 
you know, or relaxing the ratio and the number of children who can be looked after in, in childcare settings and the like. And so I think that is the challenge, which is how do you get the second side of the trust growth agenda going when your political capital is, is reduced? The only thing I wonder, and this will sound mad, is in a way, if you are less unpopular, if you actually face incomplete, you know, political annihilation but you're not yet at the point where you want to try and ask the leader I suppose some might be so scared that they have to deliver growth that you just get pushed into supporting some of these supply side reforms but I think if you look to how rebellious the party has been and how those by-election tweets in Chesham and Amersham and so forth actually led to people saying we're not going to go anywhere near planning reform I think it is tricky to see how that works but I think once you get to dire straits, it's interesting to see what the Tory party will do, because while there's always this animated talk about letters, I still don't get the sense that MPs are at the point where a majority of them think getting rid of the leader right now is the answer. Also, letters at this point are actually irrelevant because under the rules of a 1922 committee, a leadership election is, is considered to be akin to a confidence vote. So, you know, Tory MPs can send their letters in, but they are inoperative until a year is up. Thank you, James. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening.